0: You're listening to a Times Higher Education podcast.
1: Hello, I'm Sarah Custer, editor of Campus and your host on the Times Higher Education podcast. Just a quick request while I've got you here. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you enjoy the speakers we bring to you or the topics we cover, or even if you just like this episode... We'd be so grateful if you gave us a review on whatever platform you use to listen Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, whatever. We'd really love for you to help us spread the word about the work we're doing here. Thanks. Now, on with the show. Will the promise of lifelong learning to extend access to higher education to more people while at the same time creating a highly skilled and relevant workforce ever be realized? On the whole, university systems remain set up to educate 18-year-olds studying full-time degrees. And how many working-age adults are really able to take time off to go back to study and to take on more debt? Even in Singapore, the country which launched the Skills Future program in 2014 to much acclaim, my colleague Paula Lem reported in April that getting working-age students to take advantage of the government grants to retrain is difficult. Well, one person who is optimistic that universities and the public have woken up to the importance of lifelong learning is my guest in this episode, David Latchman, Vice Chancellor at Birkbeck University of London, a mature student-serving institution. He's sanguine in his expectations that England's lifelong loan entitlement program is the right policy to unlock the benefits of lifelong learning. In this interview, we talk about the sticking points of the policy, like credit transfer and supporting online learning, and how he thinks employers should get on board. David, hello, thank you so much for joining us on the Times Higher Education podcast today. Um, You are the Vice Chancellor at Birkbeck University of London. Tell us a little bit about um, this unique institution and the place that it holds in UK higher education.
0: Okay, well, we are celebrating this year to the 200th anniversary of Birkbeck, founded in 1823, for the education of working Londoners. Um, And I guess that's what it's been doing for the last 200 years. doing part-time study, people studying in the evening, mature people with jobs and families um, and so on. And I think we have been doing that against sort of a lot of opposition when it was first started, subsequently against a sort of lot of apathy with people not understanding the role of that compared to 18-year-olds and now perhaps moving into something where lifelong learning is actually appreciated and we are seen as one of the key exponents of it
1: it's a novel model but as you say it is one that fits quite nicely into lifelong learning uh, ambitions that I think a lot of governments around the world are, are really trying to focus on now as we're looking at an unskilled workforce and changing demands from industry. And the UK government has introduced the Lifelong Learning Loan Entitlement um, that will provide students with the equivalent of four years uh, worth of funding for some sort of higher education that's currently 37,000 um, pounds. And it just aims to offer them that flexibility um, so that they can continue learning throughout their life. I'm wondering if you, what, what are you your, um thoughts about this is this the right move um, to provide students that lifelong learning um, flexibility and capabilities
0: yeah I and mean, absolutely I think we have to recognize now <clears throat> that people are working differently that the days when you went and did a degree perhaps you did a master's uh, 22 23 you went into a job and you know 40 years later you got a gold watch or whatever it may be um, no longer exists. that jobs disappear as automation and so on, other jobs, opportunities appear. So we have to have a workforce which is trained for that. We also have to recognise that many people at different points of their lives want to study subjects different to those that they've studied before for interest's sake as well. And so I think the lifelong learning loan entitlement is is a tremendous step forward and a recognition by government that this is now the centre of higher education, that you can do three-year degrees, but that is just one option compared to, a much more flexible pattern of building up qualifications.
1: Hmm. Um, We're talking at um, a timely moment. I don't know if you've had a chance to read the Higher Education Policy Institute's policy paper that came out today that is... Kind of digging into the detail of the lifelong loan entitlement, and there are some concerns that are raised around um, credit transfer um, abilities within the UK that don't quite exist. This loan funding is only applicable to universities in England. Um, There are questions about maintenance loans, which aren't currently offered to students who are studying um, distance and online courses. What other concerns might you have about the lifelong loan entitlement? I agree it's a great and exciting policy initiative that the UK government is getting behind, but surely it's not perfect. No,
0: it's absolutely not perfect. And I think, you know... We have to take in a sense what we can get. I mean ideally we would go back to a system of grants for the poorest students to provide funds without having to take loans, without worrying about loan aversion, Um, but that's not going to happen clearly. Um, It would be very nice to have maintenance loans, you know we work very closely with the OU, it would be very nice to have maintenance loans for distance learning students, but again that's something that I think will follow. I think that the central issue here is universities need to recognise that this is the funding system. And so comments that have been made by spokesmen of the Russell Group that this will very nicely complement the existing system totally miss the point. This is not intended by government, and nor should it be, to complement the existing system. This is the system. You can choose to go to a standard university and do a three year degree, but you can also choose to do that in a modular way, in a flexible way that suits you to come back and do it at different times of your life and so on. Um, So I think that's that's the way. Now, you mentioned credit transfer. Absolutely. This would be tremendously improved by credit transfer. We have to have a system in the future where somebody who does 30 credits at Birkbeck can take that to the University of Lancaster if they're posted or their partner is posted there and and continue. That's been an issue ever since I've been a Vice-Chancellor, which is a very long time, um, and I hope it will come, but it will come from the LLE being implemented, and then the LLE hopefully will help us move to credit transfer. But I don't think we should say, let's not have an LLE until we have credit transfer, because credit transfer is one of these things that is always going to come and never quite arrives.
1: When you were talking there about the Russell Group, I get the impression that you think that universities perhaps don't quite understand what this means for them and that perhaps most UK higher education providers aren't quite set up for this yet and aren't quite prepared to offer that modular learning that – it's required not just for the LLE but for the whole ethos of lifelong learning which is to be kind of just-in-time degrees that meet industry demands and that provide that um upskilling that learners would hopefully be looking for would you agree with that well i think
0: i think you know, there's nothing i think the great majority of undergraduate students you know, for the foreseeable future will do three-year degrees and they'll do them at you know, the standard universities. I think what those universities need to recognise is that that three-year degree is now part of a much broader system, and it's one route through that system to use up three years of your allocation. And I think they can still do that, of course, but they need to think about the possibility that students will come along and say, well, why should I come to you and sign up for the three-year degree? I'd rather go somewhere and do a couple of more Modules, see if this subject is for me, see if I can fit it into my other activities and so on. So, I think there will be a lot of pressure on those universities to actually move into this system and offer modules alongside. And I think most universities are probably not yet set up to do that.
1: And how is Birkbeck looking at this? I mean, you guys have been doing this or something like this for a long time, but surely this also signifies a shift in in how you are doing things and what you might need to change.
0: Yeah, I mean I think we have obviously a very flexible model. We have a model where you can do different things and you can study at different rates and so on. I think we will need to do much more in terms of modularization, much more in terms of selling to people effectively this is a standalone thing that allows you to do your job better and then of course when you've done two or three of those you might see well I'm halfway to a degree, I might as well continue forward. So we have, I think, a lot more to do. But we absolutely have to do it because this is really our core business. And you know, as I sort of hinted earlier, I think government has finally and opposition has finally woken up to the importance of lifelong learning and realizes that you know it has to be this way. And and I think just to be clear, it's not just a utilitarian: you need this for your job. It's also that you know maybe you are recently retired or whatever. You've always had a particular interest. You know, and there's lots of data that says people's health and well-being is maintained much longer if they are keeping themselves active with study and so on. So I think it, it's it's very, very important, and we certainly
1: can't uh, can not not be part of it. Mm. It's worth mentioning also that the Birkbeck's position financially has been in a bit of trouble. You guys posted a 9.2 million deficit in income from tuition fees last year. You've also announced that you're going to be cutting um, 140 staff members by July of this year. So you're, you're interesting, you're, you're entering a few um, financial troubles, like many universities in the UK are facing right now for various reasons. And you've accounted that down to um, a policy system that isn't necessarily in favor of, of the way that Birkbeck is working. Um, how do you see this fitting into demand for these programs? I think a lot of times... Um, there was a pilot program for the lifelong loan entitlement, for example, that didn't get a whole lot of uptick. And we've seen even in countries like Singapore that, yes, this is great and this is government policy, but there's not a whole lot of uptake on this. So are, are you confident that there will be demand from students to to make this to make good use of this, but then also to help institutions like Birkbeck that are perhaps facing some financial challenges and need to plug that hole with tuition fees?
0: Well, I think let's start with you shouldn't believe everything you read in the press. Um, So, you know, we never announced 140 losses. The press interpreted various things we said as indicating 140 losses, many of which were temporary posts that were not going to be filled, turnover and so on. And I'm very happy to tell you that we have achieved what we needed to achieve without having compulsory redundancies. So we've achieved everything with voluntary means. We have just announced that there won't be compulsory redundancies. Having said that, you're absolutely right. We are victims of the system in terms of the fact that the whole system effectively is geared towards 18 year olds studying three years full time. Um, So that's why we welcome the lifelong learning thing. Again, you're correct that the pilot has not been successful in terms of the number of people who've taken it up. And that is because the pilot was done totally and completely wrongly. So the pilot was done firstly, in a very very utilitarian way so the people doing it drew very very narrow boundaries around the subjects that they were prepared to allow short courses to get loans for which is what the pilot was about and so that was very unattractive to many universities which didn't needed to have particular partnerships didn't want to be in those areas Secondly, they spread it across a considerable number of universities, which then had it as a very much a side issue in terms of their marketing. They were marketing their three-year degrees, their master's degrees, and whatever. They weren't really marketing in the corner over here is a course in X, which oh look, you can get a loan for because that's part of the pilot. You can't for all the other things. So I think it was a very misconceived pilot. It <clears throat> should have been brought drawn much more broadly in subject, and I suppose I would say this, wouldn't I, it should have been concentrated in one or two specialist institutions to actually see whether they could generate the demand or not. That would have been a much better pilot, I think.
1: So how, how, how can you be so confident that there is demand there from, from UK from the UK population for lifelong learning in general?
0: Well, I suppose the first thing to say is that I wouldn't have survived as Vice-Chancellor of Birkbeck for so long if I wasn't an optimist. So, you know, I am an optimist. I think we are seeing a huge change in the HE system. And I think it's a change when it's explained to people that they will think this is actually something which really I would like to do. And I want to do this in a different way. Maybe I'm 18 and I want to do it in a different way. We have students who study with us in the evening who are 18 and could have gone to a conventional university. But choose to come here and work during the day. So I think that will be a package where they don't have to commit to three years, where they can do particular courses, I think will be very attractive. As you get older, and you have family commitments and job commitments, it I think will be very attractive to come along and say, I want to try this and see whether it works. And of course, now, we universities are heavily penalised. For students who take a chance, and we take a chance on them, and then prove not to be able to you know, commit to the full three-year degree, that is a black mark in terms of dropouts um, and continuations and so on. So I think having a system where people can actually say, okay, <clears throat> I'm going to start with this, I am going intending to build to a degree, but I'm going to start with this, ought to prove very attractive, if it's marketed Properly, And that's the absolutely crucial thing that it needs, people need to understand there is this availability and it's not something that's second rate compared to going to a standard university and doing a three year degree.
1: Why do you think... Um universities are the ones who should be providing this lifelong learning. We're seeing a, a large market of private providers and individual companies who are focusing on um, certificates and, and degree, well, not degree courses, but certificates and badges in the US specifically that are thriving and are a for profit sector. So why do you think universities are the ones that should be providing this?
0: Well, I think I don't object to diversity in the sector, so I don't object to private providers and whatever. I think what universities have is an extremely long history of providing high quality courses that are properly audited by quality providers that are probably looked at now by OFS and before that by Hefsi. and I think that's that's a badge mark that people can have so you know I would rather if I was a student have a University of London degree whether it was a three-year degree from UCL or King's or a evening degree from Birkbeck than I would to have from a private provider that you know has existed for a few years and may suddenly be taken over and completely change its policy or whatever it may be so but as I say I don't object to diversity and competition that's fine.
1: But we're not necessarily talking about degrees here and I wonder if you can tell me just a bit more about how Birkbeck is thinking about if we're talking about modular learning and students are just using this to upskill take maybe a, a short course on computer science for you know, three months out of the year, and then maybe five years later, they come back and top it up with something around artificial intelligence or something like that. Those aren't degree programs necessarily. So are you guys looking at how to provide badges that are industry recognized or some sort of certificate that students can then take to uh, apply to a bundle of things that then uh, hold some sort of value in on their CV or, or in the eyes of employers?
0: Yeah, I mean absolutely. I think I think the first thing to say is that the government's concept of this LLE is that it's about stackable qualifications so in order to get the loan for your short course there will have to be the potential for you to stack it and eventually build it up to a degree if you want to, doesn't mean you have to but it means the route has to be there so I think that's the first thing to say that you're not going to be taking a sort of single isolated thing that when you come back we say well there's nothing more just take that and go but having said that I think individual individual short courses need to have clear things that say yes you have passed this here is a qualification and as those things come in we have to work out what those qualifications are we need to have some framework of how that works and as I said earlier we have to have credit transfer. so if five years later you are now living in Brighton as opposed to London and you don't want to come and do your next bit in Birkbeck you can find a university which is prepared to say yes you can do this as a standalone course but also you can add it to your Birkbeck credits and eventually move it forward to to a degree program if you want to.
1: Do you ever see um, a a reality where um, you would offer courses outside of the LLE, for example, for students who are paying out of their own pocket and who do want those shorter courses that come with badges or certificates? Yeah,
0: I mean I think you know, one of, one of the greatest virtues of, of the LLE is that it's going to abolish this equivalent or lesser qualification rule, where you can't get a loan to do something that's at the same level that you've done already. So I think that. That is a big step in terms of whatever. However, there will always be people who have exhausted their four-year entitlement or have something else that whatever, and then there will have to be a scheme that you can take particular courses and and pay for them in your with your own pocket. People now come along to us and either their families or they themselves pay for the degree. So there's nothing because they don't want to take out a loan. So there will always be that, that alternative option. And if there were a strong demand from people who say, well, you know, it, it seems I've done this and I've done this, I did my degree, I've now done a one-year certificate, then we see there's a big demand for short courses amongst that group, you know, assuming that can be paid for. And obviously we have to get what we need to, to run those courses, but there's no reason why it shouldn't work alongside yeah. the LLE. Equally, there's no reason why employers shouldn't sponsor people, why employers shouldn't say, well, actually, I'll sponsor you on that course so that you don't use up a bit of your four-year LLE, or I'll pay part of it, or whatever. So I think there you are know, more partnerships with employers where students come along and say, isn't this valuable for me? The employer says, yes. So, well, do I have to use another three months of my LLE allowance, or will you pay for this? Or let's, I'll, I'll do this one on the LLE. If you do, you sponsor me on that one.
1: Hmm. And do you think there has been sufficient um, feedback and, and buy-in from in industry and employers in this whole process in terms of them stepping up to say, yes, we will fund students to do a micro-credential or to be part of uh, this LLE? or contribute to it. Um, And then also, yes, we will have that open communication with education providers to let them know what we're looking for and what we need from a workforce.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the issue there is you know that, that it, it sort of assumes that employers are some homogeneous bunch of people. You know, and I think you know, there are certainly employers who have been involved in that conversation. There are employers who sponsor their employees to do degrees at Birkbeck. So you know, there is a lot of involvement. At the other end of the spectrum, we have a considerable number of students who won't tell us who their employer is, because if it's pretty clear that they will leave, as soon as they get the qualification, right. and they don't want their employer to know about it. And often when I speak to business groups, I say, if the person who's cleaning your toilet is doing an IT degree in Birkbeck, it's a failure of your organisation that you don't know about it, and you're not paying towards it. So I think there's a spectrum. We need to do certainly much more. Um, the pilot, again, assumed employer involvement in all yeah. the courses. that A rest- very short notice about that, that greatly restricted the availability of people who could apply for the pilot and whatever. So employers are very important, but we shouldn't assume there's some sort of huge group of beneficent employers out there who are only waiting to give money to universities.
1: Out of curiosity, which which employers are you working with that are funding degrees at Birkbeck for their employees?
0: Well, we have, I mean, quite a in, interestingly, in quite a small department of earth sciences, we have employers there, oil companies and so on, who actually sponsor people who are on rigs you know, in the North Sea and you know, working through that. Um, but quite a range, and we also have a lot of links with um, firms like KPMG and PWC in terms of you know, for example, people who mentor our students, graduates of Birkbeck, who go and work in those firms who then mentor the students so it's a range we could do a lot more um, in that area and we certainly are trying to do considerably more. I think the LLE probably does involve a lot of, you know, does push us into doing much more of that and will start dialogues with employers. The, the classic paradox of course is that, you know, it's good to do it with big employers, but actually probably the real need is in smaller employers. Um, and you know, where you can't, for example, do day release where people want to do you know, I've got five employees, I can't send you off every Tuesday and Thursday to do whatever, you know, come and do it in the evening. The problem is it's much more intensive in terms of dealing with large numbers of small employers that can only send you obviously one or two students.
1: The other kind of hitch in the plan with the LLE is that uh, in the first two years it's launching in 2025 but in the first two years it will really only be available to um, higher technical qualifications. Do you think there's a risk that um, this will force universities to think more about kind of technical degrees which has historically put them off let's say um do you think there's a risk that um there will be a bit of reluctance in universities to provide degrees um that are more focused towards employers on those those technical skills i'm just imagining trying to imagine and finding difficulty to discover or to imagine a world where um you know an employer will pay for a micro credential in theater for example
0: yeah i mean i think i think there's two different issues there One is the issue that that the short courses will be, for the first couple of years, more at what's traditionally been FE level rather than HE level. Further education. Yeah, and I think that's that's one way regrettable, but in another way understandable, because those sorts of systems exist to some extent already in FE, in further education, so you might as well go forward and push it there. So I think that's whatever. In terms of what universities um, do and what they support... Of course, an employer, unless they were extraordinarily beneficent, is not going to support your, your you know, course in theatre studies. On the other hand, that can be something that is tremendously important to an individual that they want to do through the LLE. So I think universities will offer that. I mean, we had a case um, of a visiting um, government dignitary whose chief of staff said to me, my best friend studied at Birkbeck. He was a high-flying barrister, and he is now he did your masters in theater directing exactly on your point and he is now a struggling theater director earning half as much and you know infinitely more satisfied and i often do challenge government with you know is that a victory or a defeat in the sense that if you want to say everything depends on the person's earnings then it's a defeat because he's now earning much less and in a much more you know, difficult way a much more precarious way on the other hand I view it as victory because somebody who perhaps was a high flyer at school went into a profession that they were perfectly capable of doing but didn't enjoy is now doing something that they really want to enjoy, really enjoy, and it's fulfilling them um, and so on. So we shouldn't be too utilitarian. On the other hand, if I was an employer who's trying to make money, I wouldn't necessarily want to sponsor my, my, my employee to do that. There has to be government support for that.
1: Just broadening it out a little bit, um, what does this mean for kind of greater access to higher education across the UK? You've touched on this point a little bit about the person who's retired and maybe their lifelong dream was to study something and they're going back. You just mentioned the barrister who studied drag- theater direction. What does this mean for just access in general for people across the UK who maybe didn't do any sort of secondary education and want to start their first degree or credential program or started it, but finished or ended it for some reason and are, are going back? I think,
0: I mean, I think it's tremendously important. If, if we sell it properly, it could be tremendously important. I think there are very many people out there who don't have the confidence to go into higher education people of 25, 30 or whatever, they see younger people coming in straight from university, getting promoted above them. They, for whatever reason, didn't go to university. We are now saying to them, okay, sign up for a three year degree, and we'll help you through it. And if you drop out, government will give us a black mark. You'll have used up a bit of your whatever. I think actually saying to those people, here is an opportunity, to come and study for 30 credits or whatever it may be and you, know, you can see whether you like it or not and you can see as importantly whether you're up to it or not and I think many of those people will surprise themselves in how you know, they find it suited to them and something that they really want to do and so you know, that opens up access to people who, for whom university you know, is not really for me, how do I do that? Um, uh, whatever, so I always do sort of tell this story about um, many years ago Birkbeck got the lowest ever score in university challenge, and the, not in my time and the the newspapers had these headlines saying the books from Birkbeck so recruitment went up it didn't go up when we won university challenge in my first year in Birkbeck, so you know, there's something about out there people who don't have the confidence. Many of whom actually have all the, the, quali- the qualifications, not qualifications, all the talents that they need to succeed, but it's not for me. I think if you can say, here is a you know, toe in the water, you know, you're getting a very small loan amount you know, and it's not going to really affect you, have a go. And I think that will open, open it up if we, if we market it properly.
1: David, thank you so much for your time and for this conversation on a, a very important topic. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much.
1: You're listening to a Times Higher Education podcast.